0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: What's good, everybody? Happy Friday. Happy playoff weekend type of day, because we're a day away from the playoffs, but two days away from the Celtics opening their series against the Brooklyn Nets. And we're going to talk about it. We decided to do a mailbag. Kind of disappointed a lot of people on Twitter didn't really respond. But luckily, my IG crowd came through for me. So we do have enough questions to get us through. Before that, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir, up early in the morning.
0: That's right, baby. Got my coffee here. We ready to talk some Celtics, like you said. It's playoff weekend. So all basketball, all the time. I'm all about it. Time is it for you? 8 a.m.? Uh, 8 13 right now as we're recording not too bad yeah. i mean to be honest I'm, I'm i'm up about this time anyways i gotta i gotta get i gotta get taco food usually i take him for a walk i'm gonna let i'm gonna let my uh, my girl sleep in for a little bit and then she'll take him for a walk while we're doing this but like you know i'm usually up at this time hanging out with the dog for a little bit doing my wordle you know kind of composing myself for the day anyways yeah. so now i just got my coffee and i'm hanging out with you composing myself talking about
1: celtics pretty pretty darn good way to start the day so here it's a national holiday today is it a national holiday where you are what's the, what's the holiday Good Friday the Friday before oh Christmas. yeah it's God I'm such a pagan now um yeah it's, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a good Catholic um I totally forgot it's Easter weekend yeah it, it it is and it's it's interesting I feel like so when I when I was so obviously I'm living in Texas now for those listening but when I was living in, in Massachusetts I do feel like we always had. You know, with jobs and with school, Good Friday was was a day that was, was taken off or it was a day that was given off as one of those, you know, you get 12 holidays, 13 holidays, whatever it is throughout yeah. the year. It was always one of them. And it's not the case in Texas or I don't I don't I can't remember ever working for any of the companies that I work for out here, it being a thing. And I've also become, like I said, I I'm not much like i i guess i'm still technically catholic i did the whole baptism communion all that you know confirmation so um you know if my mom or my grandma who in heaven is still listening i'm still a catholic um just in case they're tuning in but uh but i'm not really a practicing catholic anymore so i'm totally always surprised when uh when when easter comes around i did know it i forgot
1: it this morning but yeah it is good friday here too obviously yeah we uh, the whole like i'm not i'm more spiritualist than i am religious but like um yeah the whole country just shuts down bro like you know yeah got a few places that you can go and other than that it's kind of just like you're chilling your crib chill with the family have a barbecue the weather's good which it is shockingly um barbecues here are a rarity yeah so you know not like in texas where you're eating ribs every day living that life in the sunshine
0: yeah i mean honestly i don't get barbecue every i, I know that's like it's funny that's, i think people who Uh, When they think of Texas, it's like, man, you guys probably just eat like, you know, uh ribs and ribs and brisket like every single day and we don't but i did have some friends in town recently and we had a bunch of leftovers so i have been eating a lot of ribs and brisket and sausage (laughs) this week because it's all leftover from my friends that visited and so my fridge has just been full of leftovers all week so it's like mixing it with some eggs or like trying to take and turn it into like a sandwich here and there so i've been uh, i have been eating a lot of barbecue this week so this this particular time it is a fact
1: yeah. I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous. I love myself some barbecue food. We probably get it four times a year, but I think that makes me savor it more, you know, because I'm like, yo, once you get to like towards the end of August and you have that, like, you kind of know it's that last barbecue. And then mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, yo, I don't get another barbecue now until like April, May next year. Yeah. And then you unless obviously you want to like cook it, in the rain put a gazebo over (laughs) it it. but i'm not about all that life man that's too much work it's too much work that's too much yeah Yeah. Yeah. and we don't have places where we can just go and buy barbecue food in like a restaurant well real quick
0: can you define for me how how you define barbecue because i always defined barbecue a little bit differently actually until i move to texas so tell me a little bit about how you're
1: defining like barbecue to you a charcoal or gas-powered grill in, Mm in in the backyard open flame or low flame so it like you know just it cooks through the smoke and yeah. then you know burgers sausages okay. ribs, chicken and so this whatever. is this is
0: why this is why i ask because like growing up that's that's the same way that i thought of like a barbecue is 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 like you, know, you have the grill and you're doing everything that you just you just talked about and so it's it's interesting because in texas because like actually like like the the category of of barbecue food like barbecue sauce on ribs brisket um you know there's there's certain types of like chicken and and sausage that that kind of go with this category they very much consider barbecue just to be that genre of, of food. Whereas like to them, what you're saying would be a cookout, which, which growing up for me, I would use interchangeably like barbecue versus we're going to a cookout. And so it's, that's why it's always interesting. Now that I've, I've moved here, I always like have to like kind of recalibrate my brain to think about, are we talking about like barbecue, Texas style? in the sense of like going to like a barbecue pit master that has you know all that is you know making these brisket and ribs that they've been you know o- over <laughs> a flame for six yeah. seven eight hours whatever it is got their special herbs and spices and sauces and all that or are we talking about like a cookout barbecue which is like exactly what you're saying and that's that's what I'm traditionally growing up with for me is like oh yeah we're having a barbecue and it's like you bring the burgers you pop open the grill you get the hot dogs you get you get whatever you can do steak tips you can do some chicken whatever you can do you know there's a whole bunch of different ways you can do it but uh it's been interesting because i moved to texas having to separate those two as like different words even though i've considered them as synonyms my whole life growing up
1: yeah so it's like if i'm cooking if i'm just doing like you know there's a few people that like it's just for the household maybe a couple of yeah. friends come, that's a barbecue if i'm going to somebody's crib and they've put, like you know it's a ga- it's a gathering yeah then it's a cookout
0: Oh, ah, okay. I like
1: that. I like that. I've never
0: thought about. Like I said, I I feel like I've used them so much interchangeably. I've never thought about, and maybe I've done it the same way that you're saying. And I just haven't even noticed it. You know? What yeah. I mean? just,
1: it's just quinoculism, yeah. right? I like that. I, I
0: like I like that separation of of cookout and barbecue. Separation of church and state. I
1: like but it. like like yo, if you if you just bring me some oven cooked ribs and you've glazed them in barbecue sauce and you tell me to barbecue, like you're lying to me, fam. <laughs> they're just ribs with barbecue sauce ribs I mean, what's with barbecue
0: there? sauce on that
1: <laughs> you know what's going on here a barbecue glaze a glaze i don't know what you're talking about right so anyway we went into a <laughs> i love me some food man hey man that was a great combo i loved it yeah it was uh the differences between barbecue and in cookout to opposite sides of the world so we went into a mailbag where I put a tweet out yesterday. As I said, I was a little bit sad that the, the Twitter verse didn't come to my rescue, but the IGverse verse did. So, you know, that, to you be know. fair, t- Twitter was
0: distracted with the whole Elon Musk trying to buy itself. So maybe, maybe that played a role.
1: Did you see that Patrick Beverly shared his Cash App for help with paying his fine? Okay, that had to be a joke, right? I mean, I know, but it's, but he shared the action, but he shared money, the actual bro. thing,
0: so I know people could say. I, I assume people did send him money, which is which is dumb. It's like the guy's a multi-millionaire. Pay your own fine, you know. But uh, I didn't really love that, to be honest.
1: I was just like, yeah, I'm not like. I want like Cash App here. We have Cash App, but for mm. some reason, you can't do international cash transfers. So it's not like I can yeah. send Zoom. Which so it's PayPal all the way. You know what I mean? I have yeah. got PayPal. I wanted to share my PayPal mean thing to him and be like, bro, you can hook me up, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean? you, yeah, who
0: are you asking for asking for handouts for a fine?
1: Get out of here, man. From a bunch of people struggling on the breadline. You've seen the price of gas these days, dude. Dude, it's skyrocketing everywhere. Like, <laughs> <in> <laughs> and, and listen, Come listen.
0: I'm, I'm all about, you know, the Minnesota celebration. They've won one playoff game since I think it's 2004, 2005. Go nuts for the play-in. By all means, take your shirt off. Get on the scores table. But do not post your cash app. Looking to help you pay a fine. Get that.
1: Get the heck out of here. Yeah, it's uh, it was a bit. It was offensive to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And tell you what else was offensive. The most agree. We're gonna start this mail back with the most egregious question. The question that I had to uh, really, really fight against responding to. You know. Well, what we're mean? gonna do it but- now. We're going to do it now. You know, I'm going to do it now, but I'm call the heads will prevail rather than just being like, are you crazy? But let me just load up the question on my uh, Twitter, the bird app. So it was along the lines of, let me find out who sent it to us. I did have it loaded. This is excellent podcasting. (laughs) We need to put the
0: Jeopardy music back here.
1: So it was from an at Homer Cleese, Alan Holmes. Is the Derek white trade a disaster? Not was it a bad trade? Not was it an overpay? Was it a disaster? Let me go first, Adam. Please.
0: Alan, my guy. Number one, appreciate you following, Adam. Appreciate you likely listening to the show. What are you watching? What, like, I I don't even understand where this question comes from. You know, I mean, I think... When you look, so I, I saw this question Yes, This is one of the ones that I, that I, I most of these I'm not, I'm not going to have anything prepped for. This one I just happened to see yesterday. So I started thinking about it. So let's go back. Let, let's examine what the trade actually was that you called. Is it, quote unquote, a disaster? So the Celtics gave up this year's first round pick. The Celtics finished number two seed in the Eastern Conference in large part to that Derek White trade. That pick is now going to be in the late 20s, 27, 28. You know, let's, and let's be real end of the first round, early second round, those picks, they can be valuable, but they're also a lot of swing and misses. Like there's not a lot of times where you're going to find tremendous value. And I say this knowing that Rob Williams was picked in that area. So I know that it's possible, but late first round picks are not the same value. When you think of, you know, a mid to, you know, lottery style pick, those are vastly different. When you look through the history of the NBA, the amount of those picks that work out versus don't work out, is vastly different. So, not too upset, that's okay, put that in there. Let's go to the next piece of the trade. Josh Richardson, nice role player, pretty solid for us. You know what, Derek White's a better fit. Between the two of them, if we're looking at the main players in this trade, Derek White is simply a better fit. Look at the way that you know this team has played since Derek White has come over. I know when Josh Richardson was here, we had kind of started the turnaround, but let's be real, this team has taken its full shape with Derek White. He's been that connector, that accentuator that we've talked about, and he does so without the instability that that Josh Richardson had a little bit, where when he's great, the team ends up being great, but when he's playing bad, it really drags the team down. Derek White gives you more of a baseline. Derek White's a guy that fits in a little bit better with everyone around the team, so that's a positive. Romeo Langford, listen, we're here with Adam. Adam, That's his guy. I'm sad. And it's sad, but Romeo was kind of out of chances, kind of out of opportunities. There really wasn't going to be the opportunity for him to make an impact on this team. So I, I honestly just don't feel bad cutting ties with that to bring a guy like Derek White back. And then you have the the trade swap in, or the pick swap, excuse me, in, I believe it's 2028. Dog, it's 2028. Like, I understand that there could be some some opportunities where that, that ends up coming back to bite you, but... You know, there's plenty of time to go ahead and build up and and get a draft pick that replaces that. It's so far down the road that I I don't want to be dismissive of it, but if that was the final piece to get this done, I I honestly don't have that big of an issue of Brad Stevens pulling the trigger. And the other biggest thing I think you got to think about, Derek White is not on an expiring contract. He's on a contract that takes him here for the next three, four years with this core. This is not a trade just for this year, as well as it has gone to put the Celtics in a position to make a finals run in the current playoffs right now as a number two seed in the Eastern Conference. This trade is not just for right now. He is going to be with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams, minimum the next three years or so. And he brings tremendous value to this team. He plays well with them. Disaster, my friend. I don't know how you got there. I appreciate you listening to the show, but I could not disagree more.
1: He doesn't follow me neither, so I don't know where he is. But that's by the by. Um, (laughs) uh, The thing is, and I've said this all along, a lot of people got hung up. The the thing that tripped everybody up with this deal, this year's pick, the Josh Richardson, the Romeo Langford, I think everybody was cool with that. I think it was very much a... If you want to get somebody like Derek White, then that type of package is what it's going to need to be. Everyone tripped up on that 2028 pick, Yeah. right? Now, my biggest thing, and I've said this, I said this at the time of the trade, I'll say again and again and again. If by the time you get to 2028, you need that draft pick, that means that Tatum is probably gone. It means that Brown has probably gone. Now, I'd like to believe that if that was the case, then... Brad Stevens would preemptively make a trade or a sign-in trade to move on from these guys, at which point you're asking for draft capital back because at that point you're entering a rebuild, right. you know? So you don't know what that 2028 pick is going to convey as for Boston, the one that they've gave away, but you also don't know what their cupboard's going to look like in 2028. Now, Derek White on the Celtics equals one, two, even three championship runs. And you come away with a ring or two rings, then that 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 one draft pick that everyone's tripped up on, no one will care. You look at the Lakers right now. The Lakers are in the worst position of any team that ever existed in the universe period, and they're not. But it makes me happy to tell
0: they're pretty, they're you they're pretty. They're pretty close.
1: They're pretty close. Yeah, they gave up all of their draft assets to go and get Anthony Davis. They have zero tradable contracts right now you're either on a max or you're on a min there's no mid-tier contracts boston are in a position where you've got your max guys you've got your min guys but you also have your Derek white your marcus smart your robert williams all on those mid-tier deals if you do ever come to a point where you need to start flipping and acquiring draft assets you have the the contract cachet to be able to do such a Mm -hmm. thing you know what i mean so no, I'm not tripping over a 2028 draft pick six years down the line. When in my brain there should be at least two championships between now and then, or at least cutting close to two. Yeah,
0: I mean, I yeah, I always hesitate to say championships, but championship runs. When you said that, that's the part for me yeah. that I think this this does you know for this team. And you never trade. And and here's the thing: windows close a lot quicker than you think in the NBA. And we mm-hmm. were worried that ours was closing. And I think Brad has done an amazing job turning that, you know, busting that window back open with, with some of these contracts and some of these moves that he's made. And Derek white to me is absolutely a part of that. You have a solid five guys that, you know, going forward are going to be mainstays in your rotation for at minimum the next three years. And then, yeah, you got to figure some things out from there, but knowing that you have that going forward and within that you have contracts that if, if, an opportunity presents itself, you have a bunch of those mid range contracts, including Derek white in which you can put that with draft picks or put that with young players and go make a move. If you need to, if you see something that presents itself to upgrade, all of that is is beneficial. And all of that makes this trade for Derek white, one that I am perfectly okay with. I am happy with the returns and, you know, especially where the first round pick this year and is now going to be in the late twenties. Like I said, like okay. I have, I yeah, like, no, like I'd rather have Derek white than a late twenties pick you know what i mean for sure man so you know so i think it's a big win um apologies to our guy just disagree i think i think maybe we go to the next mailbag question now
1: so this one is adam i read your article today so this was yesterday Mm -hmm. where you spoke about neesmith being miscast as a shooter can you please discuss why you think that is and what we should be classifying him as
0: Ooh, this is a, I haven't read this article of yours yet. So okay, I'm so not, I'm, I'm paraphrasing
1: sure a little bit because there's a few words in there that I don't want to repeat. But that's basically the, the gist of it. So the article I wrote was we were looking at the Celtics end of bench options. So in a pinch, what can player X give you to help kind of change the pace of a game or change the way the game is flowing? And in that article, I wrote about Neesmith and the fact that he's been miscast. He came into the league as a, like, you know, a quote-unquote sharpshooter. And what we've seen really is he's a slasher. He's a guy that gets his buckets around the rim. I did put some stats in there. Let me pull this up. But basically, the gist of it was, hey, if you need Neesmith during the playoffs, then you need him because he's a penetrator. He's a guy that's going to be able to attack the rim, pressure the rim for you, and he's not so much going to be a guy you rely on for shooting. And that's okay. We just have to change our mindset about what type of player he is, would yeah, you agree uh, there?
0: So, uh, so I'm reading your article right now, and and it's it's tough. So, yes and no. Yes, I think right now, from what we've seen, like the proven body of work, he's been more effective as a slasher. The part that I'm torn on is is that's not really what I think the Celtics need. You know, and so when we think of like you know Aaron Niesmith in a pinch, I I think in if we're looking at it just for this postseason run, which is which is what your article's doing, I agree with you that he's an energy and a slasher. Like th- th- that's gonna be hey, listen, we, somebody rolled an ankle. This game just doesn't have a good feel to it. We need to we need to to mix it up. It's gonna be that crash energy, that that you know that energy boost, that turbo boost, and you know him slashing to to the basket. That's probably gonna make more of an impact right now. But both for right now, if it could happen, which I'm I'm just not confident in, and I think long term, he needs to be that shooter that he was built at to have the most impact. So I, I agree with your article that for this postseason. If he does make an impact off the end of the bench, it's going to be as an energy guy or a slasher type guy for, you know, five to eight minutes gonna be a very small sample size that he's going to be in the game. More likely it's going to be that than it is him being a shooter. But what would be more helpful to this team now and in the long term is him actually being being a shooter. So, oh, for sure. So so I so I so I do agree with you in the short term, and then long term, I just think he needs to actually be what, what we thought he was going to be.
1: I mean, to throw it out there, look, he's converted twenty two percent of his freeze this year, seventy four percent of his chances around the rim. That's a huge that's a huge yeah. finishing rate. Forty five percent of his mid I think that you know, there's definitely we've seen him go on runs where he's hitting threes. It's very so streaky, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's a lost cause as a three point shooter, but I think that understanding that maybe, you know, a lot of judgment was passed over a small sample size with Vanderbilt in his final Mm -hmm. season. And people kind of really clawed, like, grasped onto that. And I think that sometimes these titles we give guys, like, you know, hey, here's a 3 and D wing. Here's a sharpshooter. Here's a slasher. Here's a two-way guy. Here's a defensive guard. Sometimes those, like, labels can really hinder a, uh, a career. Because you're held to an, a standard, then. If I'm mm-hmm. told that you're a sharpshooter and you're not hitting freeze well, you know, without going back and watching it and seeing what else you're doing well, in my mind, you're struggling or yeah. if you're not you or you're trash if you haven't done it consistently for a year or two. Whereas, you know, if I had the label of, oh, Neesmith's a slasher. You know, he's an energy guy that slashes to the rim and finishes around the hoop. And then I'm watching. I'm like, yo, this guy's got something here. He's gonna. He's and his three be, shot uh, now has
0: potential. You know, it yeah, now has potential yeah. instead of it being struggling. Like, I don't know, man. You've seen him hit those couple in a row. That those few times. Like, For imagine if that's consistent. And then you're imagining this other version of Aaron Easement. So, I mean, the expectations of of what we we hear and see about a guy coming out of the draft totally play a role in how we view their development, even though, because like you said, I, I do think Aaron Neesmith, you know, when when he gets out of his own way, because there are times where you see he, he very much plays like a guy that when you watch him, you can tell when he's in his own head or when he's just playing. You know, when he's just in the flow and when he's just in the flow and he's not necessarily as worried about just being that that marksman, I do think he plays um a bit better. And this feels OK, you know, taking mid range or going to the basket and not just, you know, spreading the court with threes. But I do think that's really like you said, it's a really interesting way to think about it, of how this is all flipped if he has a different um, perception of him coming out of college.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, these labels, we all use them. It helps us kind of identify what we expect it helps us compartmentalize where their strengths need to be and what to look out for but yeah i agree i think that you know it can definitely hinder as well so i think we're both in agreement here that you know in short term yeah he's a slasher and he, yeah. he has been miscast as a shooter i also think that you know while i like using these labels i use them myself consistently and purposefully i understand that there's always uh a tail side of that coin you know yeah and we'll go through that at 0.5 speed, which, by the way, <laughs> really threw Greg off because he had to hit me up on WhatsApp. I'll tell you this now. I even had conversations about this on the Celtics Blog Slack channel. Like, there's yeah. no one saying 0.5. Like, okay, so for 0.5, we just mean half speed, 0.0. Just, zero. just point, point 0.5 speed. Yeah, 0.5, 0. Like, this 0.5, it's a very English thing, apparently. I didn't yeah. know this i try and americanize it I, almost, I, I almost i almost think of
0: that as being like a nautical term or something like i don't i don't know i was very I, like i i didn't catch it when you said it greg texted me after after our last uh recording and I was like do you know what adam's saying there and i was like i don't even know if i know what you're talking about i, I might have just been in the moment so i didn't even notice yeah, it no. but now i'm never now i'm never not going to notice when you
1: say it yeah i mean it's not like i go naught one two three i'm like one <laughs> two three or zero one two, one, two three. three yeah but like if i'm like um you know, when we're talking, I'm sure I've said it before when we're talking about the 0.5 offense. Sometimes, oh, well, like well no, 0.5. Greg
0: has noticed. I just haven't noticed. I think I'm just in the moment trying to, like, yeah, no point, you know, discuss. But, 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 Greg, as an Englishman, as, as an English teacher, I should say, you know he's he's definitely picked up on that before and he's like dude he always says it i
1: never know what he's saying (laughs) nor n-a-u-g-h-t it's just another way of saying zero (laughs) right the next question we've got and this one stumped me for a hot minute so i'm assuming it might stomp you and that's kind Mm -hmm. of why we're taking it third right before we head into the break who's the third best player on the celtics do you want me to answer that now you want to go to the break first no i will do this question then we'll go to the break Who is the
0: third best player on the Celtics? Oh, that's a tough one. It, it really is. So let's just real quick. There's three candidates. It's Al Horford, Marcus Smart, and Robert Williams. Those are those are your three candidates. Oh, man. I, it, it's really hard to choose. I think I'm going to go Marcus Smart. I think it's really close. But I think I'm going to go Marcus Smart just because, you know, he can he influences the game in so many ways, especially now as he has full reigns as the point guard. He just has his fingerprints on so many different areas of the game, and he can affect it in ways that I think you know, Rob and Al. In certain regards, more have to have the game come to them in certain ways. Marcus yeah. is more in control; he has the ball in his hands a bit more. And so, when you look at the way that he's played, especially this year, which I think has been his his best overall season as uh, as an NBA player, and may end up in a Defensive Player of the Year award, I just think I got to go with him. If you, I mean, if you got a D, if you got a guy that's going to win in an potentially win or be one of those finalists for an elite award like Defensive Player of the Year. Pretty hard for him not to be one of your your three best players. So
1: for that reason, I'm going to go Marcus Smart. So I had Marcus Smart too for very much the same reasons, you know. But I also think that his ability to spot passes that he wasn't spotting previously, I think his rim pressure, his finishing around the rim has improved a bunch. In fact, I'd like to see those stats. I'm going to find those stats while I'm still talking. Um, I also did have Derek White on that same list. So I had four guys that it was between. And the reason I'm happy about this is because that means you've got your two clear cut stars, and then you've got four guys, all good enough in their own way to be considered the third best player. Because obviously, anyone that listens to this show, anyone that reads any of my work or whatever, all know that I value, I judge players based on impact. Yeah. You know, and that's always been my mindset. And Derek White has impact.
0: Yeah, and with your tears, like, I think that's that's kind of the point of, of the way this team is set up, right, is so that you have, you know, clear-cut Jason Tatum's your, your number one, clear-cut Jalen Brown's your number two, and then your number three, maybe it's more often Marcus Smart than not, but between those four guys, depending on the situation, depending on the night, depending on the opponent, like, it can be versatile and it can switch. And I think that's part of what I really like about this Celtics team is that they have a very tight-knit core in which they have so many guys that can do so many different things and they can be, you know, go from being your fifth best player to your third or your second best player and they can do so efficiently across that scale.
1: I'm still trying to get the um, the Marcus Smart room finishing.
0: Yeah, well, let let me add one more thing to Marcus Smart about the reason that I picked him a little bit more Above the other guys that we're we're mentioning here, and it's one of the things I think is is kind of fascinating because it's it's almost Marcus's fatal flaw at times, but because he's so confident in himself, it can sometimes help you, and that's his irrational confidence. Of out of any of those guys, no, and it's and like I said, I, it's somewhat ironic because his irrational confidence can sometimes be to the benefit of us winning a game. And so my favorite example is, you know, I think it was in the bubble game two versus, I believe it was the Raptors in which what he hit five threes in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the ideal that you want for Marcus smart, but if they're taking away all your options, you know, who's not afraid of the moment. You know Who's not afraid to say, all right, balls in my hands. I know I'm a better shooter than everyone thinks I am. I know that I can, you know, score the bat, score the ball. When I really choose to, it's a guy like Marcus smart. And the other guys on this list, don't really have the opportunity to do that. And we don't necessarily want Marcus Smart doing this all the time, but there is select moments when this can come up and to have a guy that can, you know, supplement your, your top two guys like that, I do think can be a benefit. And as long as it's done, you know, with, um with the proper decision-making behind it, it can be a valuable asset. So that's another reason that I think Marcus Smart even though that is something I could see you using against the case for Marcus Smart is so something so. that 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 I think you can use for him as well.
1: The Marcus Smart Marcus Smart has the Johnny Bravo offensive mindset. You just keep firing away until something hits. Hey there sexy shot. Hey there sexy shot. Hey there sexy shot. Hey <laughs> yeah, the we we, we don't offense. we don't need the Johnny Bravo offense too often. Just no, just on you While know, well, a cartoon, uh, that, that could not fly these days. Oh, um, wow. it, would, it would be cancelled real quick. Yeah, real, real quick. Uh, so, Smart is shooting 63% around the rim. The last time he shot up above 60% was during the 2018-19 season. The only other time he did it, and he shot 65% on 114 shots. He took 150 during the regular season this year. So, a slight drop, but this is his second best, if not his best, if you account for the increase in attempts. Of finishing around the rim, he's also shooting 45% from the short mid range, that floater area, 42% from the mid range, 33% from deep. It feels like, man, but don't forget, this has all got garbage time filter around because this is from cleaning the glass. So there might be slightly higher if you go on NBA stats, but taking away garbage time, like I feel like you know, the shooting and the scoring isn't what you love Marcus Smart for. For sure, it's the, it's the defense. His processing speed's got way better, and he—he's that guy that you know. If you feel like you're getting bullied around, you put Marcus Smart in there. He's fly kicking Clay Thompson. He's doing what he needs to do,
0: or he's guarding Kristaps Porzingis. He's the big ball one.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean. He's uh, the big ball one. That's uh, that's gonna stick. I like
0: that. I love it. I, I yeah. I'm, shout out to our guy Greg who came up with it. I really love that big ball one just to to counteract the small ball five. I think it's fantastic.
1: We're gonna head over to our advertisements. And when we're back, we'll get a few more messages in here and let you continue with your Friday or your Saturday, depending on when you're listening. We'll be back shortly. Yo 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 we're back and we are back. So the next question I've got for you we always ask if we like the advertisements I still skip through them when I listen to them myself so I couldn't tell you. Um how confident are you that rub can come back sooner rather than later and be at least 80% I mean
0: the for me like the the coming back thing it just I mean all, all signs indicate that the the knee, we got lucky in that this meniscus injury is not as bad as what it could have been. Those are just the tea leaves that I'm reading but as far as like how confident I'm here here's the thing I'm not necessarily confident I don't know how to rank the confidence within an injury that that I don't really know much about I'm not a doctor but the part that I am confident in is that the Celtics are going to take the long-term approach over just the short-term approach and that they're not putting him out there unless he's 100%. I don't think there's going to be a scenario in which the Celtics say, "You know what, of Rob in this one or two games that we need to try and win is worth what, you know, damaging what, what could happen with he has a four year contract that hasn't started a four year extension that hasn't even started yet. So they have to keep that in mind, as does Robert Williams, not just the team, but Robert Williams has to keep that in mind, that there is a long term play to this. So my confidence isn't necessarily in in Rob and the injury it's it's more in the decision-making that he's not coming back unless it's a hundred percent, but through the tea leaves, that we're getting, you know, little by little from whether it's Brad Stevens, whether it's Ime, it's, you know, sounding more and more like, you know, as this, this playoff series is going to take over roughly about two weeks to complete. If it goes seven games, that there's a good chance Rob Williams is available somewhere towards the back end. And if, and if that doesn't happen and say this and the Celtics are able to move on, looks like there's a good chance he would be available in that semifinal series. So uh, my confidence more lies in the decision-making than it does the injury because I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. Either, not a doctor, um, which most people Scrubs, do confuse or? us for as a doctor show, a medical show. But you know, was that, that at
1: the end of Scrubs? What's that? That used to always come on at the end of Scrubs, right? Not a doctor.
0: Um, I don't know, but I love Scrubs. I don't, I don't know if they have a not a doctor thing at the end. But Scrubs it's is just, a fantastic
1: show. I'm sure it did at the end of the uh, the credits. It might not have been Scrubs. Scrubs is excellent. Um, the one thing I will point out as well is like, look, Rob missed time at the, the end of last season with a turf toe. He came back against brooklyn re-aggravated that turf toe played two games missed the last few so you've already seen what happens when you bring rob back too early you know he's susceptible to re-aggravating injuries now a meniscus tear we got like the celtics got lucky fans got lucky most importantly rob got lucky yeah. that it was such um a minor tear you do not, and considering it's your knee, you're an explosive player without that explosion you're not as impactful and like you don't, you're not as, um, you're still important, but you're not going to be the guy that's been an all NBA defensive type of guy this year. So you do, you wait until he's at 100%. And if that means you lose this series, I want to aggravate a lot of people by saying this. I'd sooner lose this series and have a healthy rub for the next three, four years or have a, a a greater opportunity of a healthy Rob for the next three, four years than win this series. And then we miss Rob for the first six months of the year because yeah. he's had to go and have more surgery because it got re-aggravated. That's just my mentality. I'm looking at the long term over the short term. I'm assuming that's what Brad Stevens and Udoka are going to do too. Um, I don't, as, I agree with you. I don't think you see an 80% rub back on the floor. I think it's 97% or above. Yeah. But you know, cause no player I've, LeBron said this before as well. Once you enter the NBA, you never at hundred percent.
0: Right, right. That's a great point. You know that everyone's not going to be be full tilt. So yeah, some as close as one can be is where I would expect it. And you know, it's it's as we're playing Kevin Durant, and, and you were just kind of talking about what we don't want to see happen is I don't want what happened to Kevin Durant in the finals. What three years ago, four years ago, and where you know he leaves in that. I think he left in the Rocket series, which was the the second round of the playoffs with with his uh, leg injury. Came back, tore the meniscus in the finals after playing you know, a quarter, quarter and a half. Maybe I can't remember exactly when that injury takes place. And, you know, I mean, KD, listen, he's a stud. He's a unicorn. He's an all time. Great. But you've seen multiple injuries continue to keep piling up. And now a big question with Kevin Durant going forward is, is he going to keep getting an injury? And, and, you know, once you get one injury that is lingering or that kind of, you know, hangs around, the rest of your body just becomes susceptible because it's all trying to, to mask and cover up for whatever ailment that you may have. And so sometimes you have to overcompensate with another area and like, it it just leaves the door open and where Rob already has, you know, an injury history. I just think the, you know, I, I agree with your point, Adam here. People may not like it. I'd rather lose the series than have Rob come back, get injured, again and but we win the series and then we just don't have rob you know going forward we don't have rob next year for six months like that doesn't make a ton of sense to me i think you got to make sure rob is a hundred percent good to go and and this team is honestly like there's enough of a support system that i don't think they need to do that you know it's 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 not like the nba finals i think maybe i might have a slight different different opinion because then you're playing for the whole thing this is the first round you, you, you can't make that decision right now you got to be 100 confident that he's fully as close to as you expect him to be good to go
1: yeah it's like buying a house you're never viewing it yeah you know what i mean you take, it's, it's just not worth it you could move in and it, it could be the best house ever you could move in and it could be falling apart with two guys running around the place you just don't <laughs> know uh the next question we've got i like this one this is fun so okay. it's The South. How much have the Celtics improved at attacking the zone this year? What's stopping Brooklyn from just running zone defense the way the Heat did and just basically sweeping Boston? So basically, you know, we've seen the Celtics struggle with um, zone. The Heat have proven that that was a blueprint on how to slow down Jason and Jalen previously. What's stopping Brooklyn just running a ton of zone and taking Boston out of their swag? I'm going to let you take this one first, Adam. So... For me, the difference is that they penetrate the zone a lot more now off ball. You know what I mean? They're still dilly dallying on the perimeter a little bit, but there's guys cutting middle, there's guys flashing. You see guys come baseline and they do what's called an L cut. So you'll drive for, you'll run forwards, and then you'll turn and come up vertically. So so it's in the shape of an L, right? And you people are L cutting onto the elbows, or there'll be wedge screens where you you know you've got somebody that's posted on the dunker spot or around that area, and they will come up on a a diagonal screen, back screen somebody to get someone like Tatum into the post, and you'll penetrate in the middle of that zone. And then that gives you post-entry passes, which is called punch. You can run punch actions from there, or you can have the second that you know you can run ram screens, which we've seen a bunch. Um, I just think that the Celtic's off-ball movement in general affords itself to blowing zones open time and time again now obviously miami ran an inverted zone so that was instead of having your bigs on the back line defending the rim they were putting their bigs on the perimeter and hiding their smaller guys at the back because they knew it was going to be hard to penetrate three big long guys on the perimeter it's very hard to back cut somebody with uh six seven wingspan six eight wingspan because they can just open their arms and cover you and kill passing lanes and whatever can Brooklyn try and do that? Yeah. Do Brooklyn have the defensive intensity to pull that off? I don't think they do. I don't think they have the personnel. They'd run more of a, you know, maybe a 2-1-2 zone or a 3-2, just somewhat more traditional. Um, bust, bust and blow that open. Their, their off-ball movement now compared to what it was when they played the Heat in the bubble is night and day. That I've got yeah. no fear whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting because you were saying that in that inverted zone that that the Heat have run against us. The only time I think the the Nets might be able to do that is if Ben Simmons comes back, and then maybe you have something where it's Ben Simmons and KD at the top with Nick Claxton kind of in the middle, and then you know pick Bruce Brown, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, whatever, Kyrie, whatever. You know p- pick them on the, on the on the sides. That's a little interesting, but to your point. I don't think this is going to be the same Achilles heel that it was to the Celtics a couple of years ago. The off-ball movement to me is the biggest thing. Having those cutters from the diagonal, doing those L cuts that you talked about. I, I think that plus having an awareness of of just who needs to be getting that ball in the middle. When you do get it into the middle, who are those decision makers? And the Celtics, you know, especially when Rob Williams is out there, have five guys that are great decision makers. You know, they have five guys. Jalen Brown, here's the thing, Jalen Brown's probably the, on the end of that scale, but he's the guy that you you want shooting in that mid-range. He's one of the best mid-range shooters on the Celtics. So, I, I, I think I, basically, I, I agree with everything you said. I just don't, I'm not worried about the zone like I was in the bubble. I think the Celtics have come a long way this season with how they approach the zones that, that have been thrown at them. And I think you're seeing, I think for a while you saw teams still lean on that, like, to to try and combat the Celtics offense. But I think the Celtics have done a good enough job this year that that teams aren't nearly throwing the zone at the Celtics as much this year because once you learn how to break certain zones, they become much, much less effective, especially in the NBA with the caliber of players that you're working with. So it it honestly is not something I expect to see too much unless it's a Miami or someone that has a defense that can still, you know, Spolscher's a guy like Spolster or like Nick Nurse are two coaches that I would expect to throw a wrinkle into a zone, and so it's not just your traditional zone that you're looking at, and maybe those could have some different ways to play out. But to your point, I don't think the Nets have the personnel to be able to play an effective zone versus the Celtics, and I wouldn't worry about it too much in this series.
1: I also don't think we've seen Steve Nash show any signs of being such an innovative coach to start testing these type of defences and risking, you know, like Spolster will do these defences and Mm -hmm. live or die by the results. Nick Nurse will do these defences. He'll throw a box and one out there and live and die by the results and adjust on the fly. I don't think Nash is at that level yet to be able to make those adjustments quickly enough for them to not be too much of a swing factor one way or the other, you know?
0: Yeah. And this gets back to, you know, even if Nash has these ideas, the Nets have been one of the teams with the least amount of continuity for all of the, you know, major headlines you've seen. So even if this was something they haven't had, the time or the players available to be able to really work on it. So it would be very surprising that if the Nets were a team that could throw something like this together, um, like you said, the, the the coaches like Spolstra and Nick nurse, those are the ones that I would be, you know, I'd be more worried about, Oh shoot, game three, game four, game five, middle of a series. They just threw out a curveball that they're not afraid to live and die by. Whereas I, I think we're, I think this is going to be honestly, a pretty traditional matchup that we see from the Nets where we know what we're kind of getting game in game out. And it's, it's going to be, you know, it's it's all gonna hang on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, and how they're
1: playing. A lot of it for me is gonna be switch one through four, five man and drop on both sides. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm just very, I, I'm I'm ready for that. I'm also very high on the idea of Vidoka trying his own box on one to try and limit, um, try and deny KD. That'd be interesting.
0: We haven't seen them do that, but that would or be we- once
1: again. We'll, we'll have to see. Or, you know, we saw Rondo have success denying Kyrie the ball for stretches. Maybe you run a on one to deny Kyrie the ball because,
0: yeah. That, I mean, that's no. kind of what, you know, uh, Nick Nurse and the Raptors did in the bubble, right? They, they didn't back. go after Jason Tatum. They tried to take away Kemba, yeah. you know? So take away that, you know, whether you want to view one as the one or the two option, whatever it was at that point, you go ahead and you take that one away and then make them work from from that perspective. So it, it will be interesting to see how Ime approaches it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have any of the numbers in front of me, but the Celtics don't play it much so, if at all, yeah. you know? And so I, I think the Celtics, to see that all of their defensive schematics are going to be based on that man-to-man, just whether we're constantly switching, switching one through four. um, You know, I, I think those have been all the concepts that we've seen throughout the year. It'll be interesting to see if Ime has has something in his back pocket that he's been waiting to bust out, because on the flip side of the Nets, where they haven't had continuity, the Celtics have been you know, especially the last 70, 75% of the season have been one of the healthier teams and know exactly who they are and have had more opportunity to maybe work on something behind the scenes that we just haven't seen yet.
1: So the last question we've got, and while we're doing this, I am going to be looking at how many possessions the Celtics have ran of zone where I can. So the last question we've got, we did have more, but you know, I don't like going over the 55-minute mark type of thing and this will take us to that point. Uh, Just so we're aware... All season, the Celtics have used the zone on forty-five possessions.
0: Forty-five possessions total for the year. Yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: According yep. To, according to in tracking data. Yeah,
0: 45. that makes sense. That's a minuscule percentage. So yeah, yeah. That, that that makes
1: sense. Yeah. Right then. So the last question we've got is how are the Celtics going to guard Ben Simmons if he plays? Now I feel like we touched on this on the last episode. I think you. I think the Nets integrate Ben Simmons as an off-ball guy. I think he becomes a screener and a perimeter defender, at which point all you need to do is if he gets on ball, your wings need to pinch. So you shrink the floor, take away that driving lane, force the ball back out of his hands. You you know, a lot of teams fall into the mistake of kind of daring simmons to shoot so they sag back a little bit to defend from the drive but what you don't realize is when when three guys pinch and sag you leave shooters open on the opposing wings and you, bro- brooklyn are gonna hurt you if you yeah. pull back like that so for me i'd stay i'd stay high. Uh, if you if they're going pick and roll you stay up to touch on the pick and roll you make sure that your both your big man's in the action your guard man's in the action up to touch just means you, you the big man who's guarding the screener can touch the screener with his arm he's up to touch um stay in that action make sure that you don't give the roll man any opportunities um, because i reckon on 60 percent of those pick and rolls it's going to be um Ben Simmons as the role man. So you want to take away that role. Pinch in. And I think it's a job's a good one at that point. You know, you force the ball out of Simmons' hands and force other people to beat you. I don't expect Simmons to be a huge difference maker on the offensive end in this series. Yeah, it's, it's...
0: Yeah, if he plays, it's the defensive end. I think he's going to make more of an impact. I think, as you talked about, he's going to be more of a a screen setter and then that role man. And so I talked a lot about on our last podcast about if you're watching that play in game with the Cavs in the in the Nets, Bruce Brown was in that role, and, I, and to me. That's the role that I would switch and you put Ben Simmons and now Ben Simmons, you know, if, if you're going to double KD, which I don't know, which we'll see if the Celtics do, that's another part of like the wrinkle of is how much, you know, cause ideally if I'm forcing the ball from Kevin Durant's hands to Bruce Brown's hands all day, as much as I like Bruce Brown, I think Bruce Brown's a nice player. I'm all day with that. When it's Ben Simmons. And now this is, you know, a little bit different with a cold Ben Simmons who hasn't played all season, but you know, the, the version of Ben Simmons that we know What he does best is attack downhill, whether it's in transition or with an advantage, and be able to pass the ball and find the open guys. That's what he does best. So that makes me nervous a little bit. And that will be interesting to see if in that scenario, if the Celtics are going to try and blitz, get the ball out of KD and just live with Ben Simmons going downhill four on three, or you know, and the Celtics have such a, you know, active recovering defense that they're they're so, you know they're so united in who needs to be where that I don't think they're going to get those lanes that the Cavs left open in that game. Like there were massive lanes for Bruce Brown when he got the ball to be able to to drive and make a decision and, you know, get an alley-oop or hit somebody in the corner or, or score the ball for himself. I don't think you're going to see that amount of space, especially for a guy like Ben Simmons, just because the Celtics, you know, we're very familiar with Ben Simmons and what he can do. Now, is he going to be able to do it coming back after not playing at all? That I don't know, but that's the one area where I think offensively, you know, I think he could be a little bit of a difference maker, but you know, at the end of the day, like you said, you talked about, you know, if he has the ball in his hands, especially in the half court, I'm not really all that worried. You know, I would challenge him. Be like, all right, listen, we're not just going to give you opportunities to go find shooters. We know you're a good passer. We know you're, you know, six foot 11. Like you can see everything. We get it, but like, go ahead, drive to the basket. We'll follow you. How are you going to do? What are you gonna do at the TD Garden when the crowd's going nuts and it's a you know two point game for four minutes left in the fourth quarter? Do you wanna? Do you really want to drive the ball? Do you really want to go to the basket? Because we don't think you do. And I would challenge him to be able to do that until he proves that it's anything different than what we've seen in years past.
1: And Udoka knows Simmons better than most, right? You know, what I mean, so Udoka's gonna know what Ben Simmons likes to do, what his tendencies are, because he's been with him for a year. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. You know, I want to see you put put the pressure on Simmons, make him make a decision. Yeah, don't give him an opportunity to scan the floor and then decide. Like, put him under pressure to set. Like, you know, basically punch the dude in the mouth and see what see what his response is.
0: Yeah, you know make him mean? a scorer. Make, make yeah. don't give him don't give him the outlets. Make him if he's going to play, make him be a scorer. You know, I mean, honestly, like. One of the first things I would do is if he if he's in a, the, the first like and then and a report came out the other day that he's targeting, you know, games four through six, which I said the other day, there's no way he's coming back on the road first game. So I think if that report is true, it's either game four or game six at home. He's not coming back his very first game on the road. I just I find that very hard to believe. But what I would do, I'd put the pressure on him. You know, if, if he's going to come right into that game or he's going to be in a tight game in one of his first games back foul, put him on the line let's let's see where you're at let's let's really you put exactly what can you do if this pressure is going to be on here we're going to make sure that you feel it when you're out here
1: i i agree i agree i don't think there's much that he's going to bring offensively other than a screener and a roll for it and i think you can which which is ne- something you know i mean that, that, yeah, that is, you can that negate is something, that but, yeah. far easier than sure. ben simmons at 100 percent barring down in transition dunking over your dung. Yeah, you know, what I mean, I think you can negate that a lot more because you're taking up, Ben Simmons is a transition threat. If he's playing as a screen and roll man, then you're taking away his number one skill set, and you haven't had to do anything.
0: But that's where you his know? defense comes into play, right? Because that's how they get out in transition. Is yeah, if he's that type of defense, defense. comes so, into play. So that's, I mean, that's that's the part that I think really would be concerning for me more than the offensive end is can Ben Simmons for let's let's just say he plays 10 to 15 minutes just because he's you know ramping up or whatever. can Ben Simmons in 10 to 15 minutes make a difference harassing Jalen Brown and, and yeah, Jason probably. Tatum probably. that's I mean that's, that's that's more the question for me than it is anything on the offensive end because I think you know the the thing for for the Celtics is going to be like the Nets can't really stop anybody. but how much of an impact does having Ben Simmons for those 10 to 15 minutes change that narrative? You know, and so give the Nets a chance for their guys to score enough to beat us. So that's that's the part for me that that I, I'm really more concerned with is just to see what Ben Simmons looks like on the defensive
1: end. Yeah, and I think that's where his like number one kind of skill set sets in. Then you know, for for Brooklyn this year, that's his skill set just the perimeter defense plugging that hole. Uh, at which point you're not guarding that, he's guarding you. So the question yeah. that we're answering is like God dies there. We did have a few more, but I'm going to leave it there uh, just because, you know, we've ran on for 50 minutes. I don't want people to be bored. Um, with that being said, we'll be back on Monday. So that'll be after the first game. So this podcast will probably be out a little bit later in the day. I'm assuming we're going to record after the fact. Uh, I've also got a really fun one coming up soon where we're bringing on, I can't pronounce his last name, but Will from... um celtics blog and we're all going to choose a band and we're going to have a basketball discussion by slipping their lyrics into our conversations and trying to make sentences from them
0: oh that could be fun although i think greg might be better for that one so we'll have to we'll have to figure out what the we'll
1: have normal conversations but like one sentence in in our paragraph will need mm-hmm. to be based on so will's going to go in nickelback lyrics you know so like, oh god He'll be like, oh, this is how you remind me of what. And then, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, cool. So we'll be back uh, on Monday, a little bit late because we're going to want to react to game one. Uh, and then we'll be back again on Wednesday as usual. If you've enjoyed the show, make sure you go and share it on social media. Make sure you're following my boy Will over at WillBun13. Most of these messages and questions came off my Instagram account. It's the same handle as my Twitter account, at Adam Taylor NBA, And we will catch you once we know who's taken the first victory let's go celtics baby green 18 green 18 oh i like that we should change the podcast name to green 18 later guys and girls I ain't disrespecting you haters i ain't sweating your opinion y'all been testing my patience never did it for a check i've been impressed with the